Hey guys, what's up? Week 210. Um, first, some corrections. That's right, it's been a while. I know Moods loves these corrections of mine. So, uh, the last episode I mentioned that Michael Gornick directed an episode of Creepshow, it was actually John Harrison. Yeah, I messed up. The guy who scored Day of the Dead, my favorite movie of all time. Uh, Michael Gornick was the director of Creepshow 2. He did cinematography on a lot of, like, Dawn of the Dead. John Harrison also, I think, directed Tales from the Dark Side. Probably making another mistake there. So, yeah, um, sorry about that. Wanted to make sure that. That was a correction. I guess we're going to hop into the first review, which will be the creep show, but it's not going to be typical. It's actually with Jeremy for our first time, so we'll go right into that. Hey guys, what's up? Here to do some uh, reviews for you. I guess we're going to start with the creep show season two, episode five. I, I, is it the f season finale? I, I think it's got to be. I'm not 100% sure. Because it was uh, usually they're about 22 minutes long a piece. This one was like 45. And I had heard some things some people told me about it and said that you should really like this one. So I had kind of accidentally somebody spoiled something about uh, some of the movies that were going to be involved. So I knew that and I was like, well, Jeremy's going to have to watch this one because one of the movies that's involved is one of his favorites. So um, this one I can't talk about without spoiling some things. So skip ahead. Um, okay, so basically this one stars Justin Long. Mm -hmm. who it was very strange to see him starring in this one it's by greg nicotero so he's a showrunner of this you know there's a lot of stuff on walking dead he worked out uh, with george romero a lot day of the dead a bunch of movies doing special effects k and b so basically when you see like the season finales or like the mid-season finales it's usually greg nicotero is going to step in and direct like a gangbuster show or episode or something like that so this one um being 45 minutes uh i knew it was i didn't even know it was 45 minutes until about i was like this has got to be the whole thing right so justin long is uh married to a rich woman and uh, they have some obviously relationship problems due to his kind of being obsessed with his work uh He's basically trying to create some virtual reality program where you can play old movies and actually become a part of them and interact with the characters. They never really get into the nitty gritty of how it works because, in all honesty, it just you never could really do that because it doesn't make any sense to actually change the outcome of the film. But it's a really cool idea. So the first movie that he actually um, goes into is 1973's Horror Express, the Spanish horror film, which is a great movie. It's one of your mm -hmm. favorite movies starring Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, Telly Savalas. Uh, yeah, just a very memorable, excellent movie. He's completely infatuated and obsessed with this film. Uh, so much so that he starts neglecting his wife. Furthermore, she starts to get paranoid about the situation, remembering lines and words that her father said and kind of ends in kind of tragedy. So um, overall, what did you think of this one? I'll be honest. I wasn't a big fan of it. It, it looked really weird. It was kind of disjointed. Um, they really just kind of like impose. Is it is it Chris Long? Justin Long. Justin. They they impose Justin Long on, like in front of like the scene, like like the scenes of the actual yeah, movie. Yeah, he's superimposed in front of it. Yeah, and he just has like like quippy one liners, and like the characters like don't really interact with him. They he... just kind of like continue about their business, with the exception of one. Well, they they actually hire an actress to play the female that he's interested in, and she right. changes some things. Right, and I, and I think that if I were to do it, um, I would probably hire you know an impersonator, impersonator or CGI him. Because right. what's the point of doing this without going that extra step? Like, right. it opens up the idea, the possibility of all these really awesome, cool things. They're like, oh, they're going to change the outcome of Horror Express. And Horror Express is public domain, if I'm not mistaken. So you're like, oh, this is going to be really cool. We're going to see the creature in Horror Express get out of the train. Maybe he'll prevent it from being on the train. It will start happening here. Maybe it will get out into the real world. All this kind of sort of idea and stuff like that. So it opened up 
these possibilities. And then a lot of it is just Justin Long interacting, but not really interacting, just basically mystery science theatering the entire film. Right. And you see Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing looking off, and, and it just doesn't work as much as it should. Um, I do like the idea, and I kind of like it, and I was excited to see Horror Express. So the first part of the movie, I was like, I don't know how I feel about this generally. And Justin Long is an actor I like. I don't mind him. I think he's fine in stuff like Tusk and Jeepers Creepers and even some latter stuff like the one, um, The Wave or what was it called? I do like him. But in this one, somebody posted on Facebook that said, when did Justin Long just become Ross from Friends? (laughs) And that is the most accurate thing I've heard about it. He's just very quippy and very annoying. Like, he's just douchey and it's just, I don't know. And, um... The idea that he has to go into the machine naked to be naked makes no sense when he goes in the suit. Like he has to, it's just really weird about it. Um, the second part of the film starts to pick up for me when they start to introduce Night of the Living Dead, and that's right. when the stuff gets really good because they do better with the actual reshooting new footage, and I actually really like that when the wife starts to get jealous and everything like that, and and that stuff is kind of cool. Overall, I did like it. It's not my favorite of the season, and I think it might be the weakest of the season, probably because it it plays with two properties that I'm very familiar with, and I know I don't want to say know quite a bit about, but just have my own opinions and and ideas about them that it could have been dug deeper into it. I appreciate the movies they chose, but I don't. Mm-hmm. I think they handle night well, but I don't know if they really did anything special with Horror Express. Well, the, the the weird thing about the Horror Express is like it focuses on the Countess, and like I barely remember her in the movie. Yeah, I mean there's so many big names in that movie. Well, he is a man, so that's why it's he's he's obsessed. He's like, you well, know. yeah. I mean it makes sense. He, but you know, my, my love for that movie isn't the Countess. It's Tully Savalas walking on, on the train. It's, you know, Cushing and <laughs> Lee, Lee and the monster. The, yeah, the monster. Rasputin. Um, is it Lee's assistant or... Um, oh, the the female on the... the yeah, I think she's that great. she's fantastic. I, I don't even remember there being a countess no, I remember the, the countess and I her do, father. But, it's, but just, it's also... I don't know if it's done incredibly well. It, it's somewhat clever, but also somewhat a failure. And I just... I don't know. I like... I like it fine. I just don't love it like I should have. Right. I like the idea, but at the whole time watching, I was like, man, I'd rather just watch. Uh, I'd rather watch the movie. And I'd rather watch Waxwork one or two. I think Waxwork two does it better when you're actually jumping through time and all these mm-hmm. different movies. I think it's kind of in that vein. And like, I don't. I'll never be the one to complain about science not being accurate in movies. But oh, I don't it, care. There's about no that. real explanation to how. The, this the th- this this episode isn't asking you to no. believe that this is feasible, but I will think I like what you said with Waxwork. It would be better if he was jumping movie to movie to movie. Yeah. They focus on Horror Express for probably three fourths of the runtime, um, and it's like I, I get it. That might be your favorite movie, but well, it's public domain and it's, it's a public good movie. domain. But, Same as Night of Living Dead, right? But but the way that it was done, it was like you you probably would have gotten a better effect if you just you know, did like a scene from like, you know, several movies versus just focusing on Horror Express. So, uh, all in all, I, I did like it, but I don't love it. And this whole season has really been movie fanatics, movie lovers making, you know, films about films, uh, showing their love and nostalgia mm-hmm. for movies. And, and this one is no different. So I can appreciate that. And I like the series overall and overall this season was really good and strong. So I recommend checking this one out too. Um, just uh it's kind of a strange thing to tackle you know it's a thing that a lot of people have opinions about so yeah creep show 2 what was it called night of the living late show i think is what it was called so okay
Okay, the next review is from Blue Underground. This is a 4K, and this is the final countdown. Um, yeah, I had never seen this one. It was 1979-1980 is when it was made. And yeah, this stars Kurt Douglas um, and uh, Mar uh, Martin Sheen. So it's kind of the two big names. Charles During is also in the film. Catherine Ross from last week's Donnie Darko. She plays a psychiatrist. So it has some other familiar names in here too. If you keep your eyes open, you will see Lloyd Kaufman and Richard Liberty, also from Day of the Dead. Very small role for both of those two. Almost a cameo by Lloyd Kaufman and Richard Liberty. But I recognize Richard Liberty's voice right off the bat. So, okay, this is a, a very kind of, um, you know, here's what I'll explain this one. This is like your dad's movie. This is a movie that you would see your dad watching. In fact, one time I went over to a friend's house and her dad was watching The Final Countdown on television. Um, yeah, it's got an interesting, nice kind of sci-fi story to it. So basically, Martin Sheen works for this company where he kind of goes in and, and kind of studies Navy practices and decides if they can do anything better. Um, Kurt Douglas is the captain of the ship. And what happens is there's this giant, terrible storm that none of them have ever seen anything quite like it. The sound gets really loud. Everything's distorted. It's like a giant, uh, you know, wind kind of tunnel thing. Um, when they come out of it, everything seems to be fine. But they're picking up broadcast from um, 40s. And it's pretty soon enough, they start to get photos from doing kind of flying around and taking pictures of, of locations. And they realize that they are... Um, right about to be um the day before or the day of pearl the attack on pearl harbor so that's where things get really interesting and all these questions are brought up because they have this state-of-the-art from the 80s vehicle this uh this big old uh ship and they are seeing the japanese pilots going over to attack pearl harbor so the question pops up do they try to change history right there so that that's kind of an interesting aspect um charles durning plays a uh, um a senator who actually disappeared that day and he somehow is picked up on board and everything like that. I won't spoil too much, but yeah, uh, there's a lot of like kind of arguing and talking and everything like that, but it's it, like the movie star, like the, the screen presence that Kurt Douglas and Martin Sheen have is really, you know, enough to carry an entire movie. But besides that, the concept is very interesting and there is some action moments, especially with one of the Japanese pilots they capture. I thought that worked really well and all sorts of things like that. During's really great in it too. And, uh, he, he's kind of a moron at the same time and also very confused. Uh, this is a good film. Um, it's, it's well acted. It's, it's well shot. It's also really well done as far as the 4K is concerned. Um, the blues look so great in this film. I was very, very impressed with how deep and co the colors looked on the blues and everything. They popped out of the screen in 4K. I was, I was just kind of caught my attention. Um, the Dolby Atmos is also fantastic because there's a lot of planes and jets and stuff going off. So it's like you hear it all the way around the room. Uh, and I do finally have a nice surround sound system and a, and a TV that plays HDR. The HDR looks fantastic. And there is a difference between movies with HDR and not. And I think it really made a difference on this one. Um, there is some grain, but the grain looks great. It's not like really dirty grain or anything like that. It's never been, it's not cleaned up super well. Um, the picture quality is fantastic on this movie. The sound quality is fantastic. And I was listening to other things like that. Now, my system plays Dolby Atmos better than it plays DTS, from my understanding. It's, it's more made for the Atmos that kind of whole deal but i was really impressed with uh the sound and the visuals on this film 
As far as the special features are concerned, there seems to be a couple old features ported over. Um, one of which is uh, of Lloyd Kaufman, who is an associate producer on this movie. He tells some really fun stories about working with During and Kurt Douglas and, and Martin Sheen. But the, the stuff he talks about with Kurt Douglas is great because his brother, um, Kurt Douglas's brother, um, was actually like a big producer on this movie. Or was it his son? It was one of his sons that was a big producer on this film. So um, they had some words occasionally and it, it sounded very funny. And he says that Kurt Douglas at times seemed to kind of think he didn't have it but by the end of it he, he respected him and that was a nice story and they've remained friends so I like seeing that and then there's also a feature on there uh, which is an interview with a bunch of the jet pilots and stuff that worked on the film and them talking about a lot of that stuff and technical stuff and that was pretty cool too to see all those people on, on there um, so anyways it's a good movie it's a solid film it's not a horror or a deeply science fiction film or anything like that but it brings up a lot of questions um, and there's some action in here and it is a sci-fi film i like i i I feel like it would be maybe comparison to like the philadelphia experiment slightly even though i don't remember 100 about that i know the movie but it's something that's just like in the back of my head where i've only seen bits and pieces of it with the science kind of experiments and the time travel and everything like that but anyways i I think it's a good film it's well acted and the 4k looks freaking fantastic so if you're a fan of the movie definitely check it out it's it's one of those ones that just looks amazing um yeah, so like I don't have that much to say about it. It's not like a super long epic movie or anything like that. But there's also an audio commentary on here, and it does come with a, a soundtrack CD, and the score is pretty solid. So, anyways, it's it's a good movie, and I love the ending. The ending is a bit touching, and uh, enjoy. I, I really like the ending; it was good stuff. Um, so yeah, that's the final countdown. Okay, this next one is a doozy. This is the four disc edition, 4K release from Severn Films of. Alejandro Jodorowsky's Santa Sangre, a.k.a. Well, not really gay, but it means Holy Blood, which is an amazing title for this film. I covered this one about three years ago, the original uh, release, which looked great and sounded great, but the 4K. Is it an improvement? Obviously, it's going to be yes. It's one of the uh, most colorful, beautiful films ever made, so Jodorowsky's movies are all amazing looking. And Severn does a great job. So first, let me get into the features of this because I've already talked about this movie a little bit, but the features are absolutely ridiculous. So you have two discs, one being the 4K. Um, now, this one doesn't have HDR because that was Jodorowsky's decision. He didn't want to do HDR is my understanding, hearing about it. And the Blu-ray is the second disc. They all they both have the feature on there. Then they have an audio commentary with Alejandro Jodorowsky and journalist Alan Jones, which I believe is also on the old edition. New Blood, Ali, uh, Jodorowsky on the restoration of Santa Sangre, deleted scenes with director's commentary, theatrical trailer. Disc 3 is loaded with features, over 8 hours of supplemental stuff which is ridiculous. Forget everything you have ever seen, the world of Santa Sangre, feature length documentary. It's an hour and 36 minute documentary, it's on the old edition, it has interviews with him and his kids who star in the film. Like a Phoenix, interview with producer Claudio Argento, which is a nice uh, like 38-minute uh, interview with Claudio Argento, the producer who is Dario Argento's brother. He got a start, obviously, doing Dario's movies, but you don't really hear much uh, him talk much about his first... Uh, further career so it was really interesting to see him talk about Santa Sangre and how it came together and work with Yodorowsky how we seeked him out this is actually a really nice supplemental feature and then there is a Holy Blood interview with cinematographer Daniela Nazuzzi who which is about like 42 minutes this is also brand new a Mexican Magic interview with executive producer Angelo Lacano which is also brand new the language of editing interview with editor Mario Bonani also new Innocence and Horror interview with screenwriter 
Roberto Leone, which I also believe is a new feature on here. Uh, also with the Claudio Argento feature, I really love that he uh, mentioned hiring um, Ricardo Corona, what, what Cardona, Cardona, um, who is like a huge Mexican director when they filmed in Mexico, and that's really cool because he he picked out all the crew and everything like that. So that was nice because this dude's huge in uh, Mexican uh, Mexican films. He's done a bunch of movies. Then we have Santa Sangre 30th anniversary celebration of Morbido Festival, Mexico City. I think that is new. And then we have uh, Goyo Cardenas, Spree Killer, documentary on real life inspiration for Santa Sangre. This is carried over from the old release. Yodorowsky. 2003 interview, Yodorowsky on stage Q&A, E-Chick uh, Aiden Yodorowsky short film so, um, I'm not sure if that's new those rest of the ones were old, then we have Simon Boswell interviews Yodorowsky, believe it's old Close Your Eyes, Simon Boswell music video and Blink Yodorowsky short by Simon Boswell, which I also think is short then we have the soundtrack, which is an excellent soundtrack, so um, first uh, let me talk a little bit about uh, the release itself, how it looks um, it looks fantastic they did a really great job with it. The colors pop. If you don't know about this movie, the plot it involves a circus and lots of like uh, amazing street shots and everything like that. So um, they did a great job on the remaster. It looks absolutely fantastic. Um, there is no HDR, which um, is kind of a bummer, but uh, you're going to have to go with Yodorowsky's wishes and you're going to have to think that he knows what he's doing and it's probably better without it, possibly. I'm not 100% sure. I'm not an expert on all these 4K um, HDR kind of things just yet, you know, it takes some watching and getting used to. Um, and I'll probably still never be an expert. As far as the uh, sound is concerned, it's a um, DTS Master Audio. It's not a, um, a 5.1 mix or anything like that. And it's the same as the old mix, probably just improved a little bit. So if you have surround sound, it won't sound as loud or um, or banging through your system. It'll come through and sound good, and the sound will be clean and everything like that. Um, but it won't have that same kind of bump that you may be used to with a 5.1 or 7.1 uh, mix. Uh, the um, there is also you can watch the movie in English, like I said. You can watch it in Italian and Spanish, and you can watch it with a commentary. Now, Jodorowsky dubs his films in the style of Italian films, kind of like the Italian films that Claudio Argento would produce. So he, he prefers that way. Um, all right, the film basically follows um, a story of a young circus performer who um, witnesses a horrible tragedy young in his life. He ends up in a mental institution, and one day there's a triggering event that sets him to remember some things, and he kind of has, I don't want to say total recall, but he doesn't have total recall necessarily he has some recall and it snaps him out of his comatose state and these murders start happening and we believe that his arms uh, belong to his mother's it's a long complicated story but uh okay so there there's a lot of great circus parts in this movie and as early horror films a lot uh involve the circus Jodorowsky is kind of infatuated with the circus from my understanding from him talking about the film um there's elephants in the movie and that, that scene is glorious there's an actor in here called Guy Stockwell brother of Dean Stockwell and his performance is really solid there's a, a amazing um circus performer in the film only known as Tattooed Woman and she's excellent um it's a movie about kind of religion and and, uh, mental illness and forgiveness and love and all sorts of things like that. But uh, it's a really wonderful movie. Uh, there's parts where, where it starts in the beginning, you kind of see like 75% of the story and then it cuts to kind of like modern times. And by the time you kind of forget what's happening. And then at the very end with the, before the big reveal, you see that last bit of the story, which is, uh, it settles everything. You see all these traumatic things that happen early and they play out in real life. I mean, in modern times and how everything connects. There 
there is a couple really gratuitous murder scenes in here. One in particular with uh, kind of a point of view stuff is probably one of the most, it, it definitely kind of brings you back to those days of the Dario Dentu kind of murders uh, from like Tenenbrae and Deep Red, those really complex, excellent murders. And I'm not saying Yodorowsky's ripping him off at all, but there is a lot of funny dialogue between Yodorowsky and uh, Argento talking about the movie. And Yodorowsky was approached to make this and Claudia Argento says, I, wanna, I found you because I want to do something new and different. And he's like, I want you to kill a bunch of beautiful women. And he's like, isn't that kind of what you always do? Isn't that what your thing is? And then he's like, no, it's going to be new and different because you're going to do it. And it's just kind of fun in that aspect. So the idea I gave Yodorowsky to make this movie is absolutely bonkers because you guys know the feature right on here, the Goyo Cardenas uh, thing. And that, that's just a great story. You should watch the features to find out yourself. But uh, it's a bizarre thing that inspired all this. Um, and the screenwriter tells a great story about uh, meeting Yodorowsky too. It feels like everybody on here who met Yodorowsky as a story um, is great. Yodorowsky is a super interesting individual. He's one of these directors that uh, would die for his craft and I've always respected his films and just the um, ambition towards them and the differences to them. Even if, you know, sometimes people will be upset at some of the things in Holy Mountain or El Tapo because, you know, animal stuff in there and I understand that, but just the movie's scope and ambition is just next level stuff here and this one is no different. Uh, it's made in the late 80s and he had some movies later on but he said in the interviews at the time I, he hadn't made um, Endless Poetry or Dance of Reality he had made the four and he was very proud of the four Fondo and Lis uh, uh, El Topo Holy Mountain and Santa Sangre um, there's also a, a great religious aspect in here which is absolutely amazing um, that his mother worships this this saint that they made themselves uh, of about a woman who was raped and her arms were chopped off. So that, that kind of plays into the psychosis of the young man and his mother involved in the circus act. It all, all this early childhood stuff plays into the psychosis of the character. Um, another thing that I absolutely love is Jodorowsky was saying how he developed the soundtrack. Um, the music that plays in the film is, is top notch. Um, and when they're walking through the streets of Mexico, you hear lots of music playing in the streets and this commotion. And it comes to this like mixture of everything and you feel it. It feels alive. And I love that. And it reminds me of stuff like, um, and this is just probably because I'm so obsessed with the movie and bringing up any chance I get, but kind of the Peck and Paw films like Wild Bunch, when you kind of walk into that crowded bar and you hear the celebration all around you and you can hear the drinking and feel the heat and everything. And it reminds me of that. And I love that. I love that kind of music, that, that street music that somehow invades the entire film and, and and just puts you in the position to be there. And the way he got that music is he went into the street and recorded it. He wanted to like, I want this recorded, this music here. And there, there's a lovely scene where something, not lovely, but there's a brutal scene actually where somebody uh, commits suicide and he said that he actually, there was a homeless man sitting there singing and he said, I want that to play during this. And it's just like, it, it, his movies are so surreal and so different, yet that little addition of realism within in the surrealism and craziness just adds it to believe his crazy worlds actually could exist. Um, and he also has an infatuation with people with mental, uh, uh, physical defects. He says it's nature's kind of, uh, monsters, which is probably not a PC term, but if you ever watch Yodorowsky, the way he approaches things and talks and thinks, he doesn't think he doesn't, he's not like other people. And I don't mean that as an insult, like as in Claudio Argento said, I don't mean saying that he is not like us as a bad thing. I mean it as a good thing. So he says these things about 
you know, like physical abnormalities and stuff being like nature's monsters. And that's why he tends to put a lot of these people in the movie. There's this scene with uh, a lot of people with Down syndrome visiting a prostitute, just stuff that's just absolutely crazy. Um, anyways, it's a fantastic movie. Um, and it, it's, it was inspired by a crazy situation and the movie is crazy. It's ambitious. It looks freaking great in 4k. Um, and that's all I can say about it. Um, there's some wonderful special features, tons of them, and I did not get to all of them. I, I dived in a little bit, and I'd seen the old ones. But when you have over eight hours of special features, it's I cover this movie this week, and that's all I cover, and I have obligations. Yet, I really wish I could have just covered this movie this week because it's well worth it. I did dive into the features I could get to, and they were awesome. Um, it looked great, and it's just uh, an amazing movie. Uh, the back has been hailed as an extraordinary visionary and haunting and a grand work of art full of symbols and imagery that reach beyond language to something primal and original. That, that's very true. Forget everything you have ever seen as the modern masterpiece from director Alejandro Jodorowsky returns like never before. With eight hours of archival and all new special features, Severn is proud to present this four-disc deluxe edition of Jodorowsky's epic odyssey through ecstasy and anguish, belief and blasphemy, beauty and madness, and the surreal genius behind it all. Now featuring a 4K scan from the original negatives and supervised by the director himself. Anyways, if you guys aren't familiar with Jodorowsky's movies, maybe you only know him from the documentary Jodorowsky's Doom, I suggest you seek out El Topo and the Holy Mountain and, of course, Santa Sangre and dive into um, some of his other stuff if you get a chance to. Um, I've never personally seen Tusk or Rainbow Thief um, or Fondo and Lease. I'll have to watch that one as well. But um, this also has some postcards in here, which are awesome. It's just a nice release, and Severin's doing the Lord's work. They also put out a couple 4Ks that were tremendous, Day of the Beast and uh, Perdita Durango um, by Alex D. La Iglesia, two other fantastic Mexican films or the Spanish I think those are Spanish um so Jodorowsky is an interesting director too because he wasn't uh, he has such a, a unique history this was made in Mexico but the it's not a Mexican movie per se it's like he's Chilean he's from Chile and I and then moved to Paris so he's Fran French and, and it's just it's all mixed up where he lived and moved 100% I'm not going to get correct but um they don't really consider it an Italian movie either um it, it shares aspects it, it feels like Italian Mexican movie it feels like all of it and uh, the best parts of that so get it get it while the getting's good because it's well worth your time if you've not seen this um and, and once i think about it like there's two movies that come to mind for 1989 um and one is uh, santa sangre and the other is uh, tetsuo so there you go Okay, it's kind of no surprise if you guys, um, I'm on the summer series for Podcasts Under the Stairs, and we draw years. So this is kind of a slight spoiler. I know maybe I shouldn't be talking about it, but if you guys use your head, you'll figure it out. Why am I reviewing or covering a lot of movies from these two years? So um, basically, I'm going to talk a little bit about The Conjuring 2. And you guys know how I felt about The Conjuring 1. It really was not my bag. I'm not big into modern-day possession or haunting films. So The Conjuring 2, I really wasn't looking forward to. I was thinking, oh no, it's going to be more of the same. It's going to be something that I don't absolutely love or anything like that so right away this follows the infield um uh that's a true uh, uh case about a haunting that's considered one of the most uh, realistic a uh, real hauntings in, in the world it took place in england I, i've heard a little bit about the story but i'm not never big, big into like real life hauntings or hauntings in general but i know of the story so the in uh, infield uh what is it uh, poltergeist i think is what it was called or something like that so basically what it is is this this single mother with four kids um this poltergeist kind of focuses on her young daughter and starts to possess her. It's this old man named Bill something, and he's kind of uh, just 
torturing this family. Um, but what happens is, of course, the Warrens get involved um, and they kind of go out there. That's, that's kind of basically the plot of the film. Um, it is a very long film. It's nearly two hours and 15 minutes long, which is too long, to be honest. But what I actually enjoyed this one a little bit better than the first one. Actually, a lot of a lot better than the first one because the set designs are great. The production value is great. Um, it feels like it, it is a you know a time piece, a period piece. So it, it does feel a little bit more like they went out of their way and made it look a little bit more expensive and everything like that. And I thought that stuff really worked. My friend Derek pointed out that the saw in the opening when they do a um, establishing shot, they use um, they use a song uh, from was it the Clash or the Kinks or something like that. One of these like um, bands a punk band and the song wasn't even made then it's about england and everything like that which is very funny because they do that in a lot of these movies it doesn't really bother me the stuff that i thought was kind of corny is the constant nightmares that uh lorraine has about the nun and everything and the nun is just like the main nun demon or whatever i'm just like i don't really think that's particularly great or scary but i know that it, it, they made a movie after it and this movie's obviously made too where they're like we can incorporate as many things as we can because we can get a bunch of different movies out of this and and I, I see that, but um, what really helps the movie is Patrick Wilson for me. Um, he's a charming guy. He's, he's, he's a very good actor. He seems very good-natured. And I know the real-life story with the Warrens necessarily wasn't exactly that. And a lot of people have debates of what actually happened and all that kind of stuff. But I'll say this, man. Patrick Wilson in that in that role really helps this movie and the Conjuring universe in general from what I've seen. So uh, basically, it is up to Lorraine and... Um, is it? Jeez, oh, I can't think of it. It's Ed Warren to come in here hired by the church to kind of um discover if this if this young girl is making up making it up because the church doesn't want to acknowledge anything that could possibly bring bad press to them and make this whole big thing a charade or um for the press and everything like that so there's other people also involved with looking into the case so all these people are kind of uh, put there i think like poltergeist when they have all those like experts and everything like that and a bunch of course hauntings and strange things happen involving a character called the crooked man which is pretty terrifying and the uh, bill character is very scary as well this one does a lot of cool scares and unique camera work too i thought the cinematography was a lot better than the first one i thought that they did some wonders that i thought were great and i like the look of the house i like the rainy look when it goes to the establishing shot of the house when they go you know cutaways and stuff this one just worked a little bit better than me and i know a lot of people don't like um patrick wilson singing elvis but this was actually personally my favorite part of the song of the movie um it's just a little tiny character beat where patrick wilson's singing uh elvis song to the kids and, and they, they kind of established that the father that they had a father who left used to play elvis records left the record player or something like that took all the albums or some shit um and it doesn't work anymore but him singing them elvis i thought was really great and they used that as a love song between ed and lorraine i think that somebody said that lorraine actually worked partially on the back or somebody involved with the family was kind Kind of like helping behind the lines and you can see it does seem like a little bit of a vanity project for them but at the same time i thought this one was a little bit more enjoyable i thought the scares were there and i thought that it was a little bit more of a monster mash than the previous film um and i know that these films don't exactly have stakes and they're kind of just made for you know a little spooky kind of horror movie for more of a broader audience but i caught myself at first sitting there with my arms crossed and then as it progressed i kind of loosened up being the asshole that i am and i um started to enjoy the film myself so conjuring 2 i i like it and it's mostly due to uh patrick wilson and some of the uh actual like technical qualities of the movie too so yeah that's uh conjuring 2 okay so this next one is called we go on from 2016 and this feels like kind of like an indie gem from 2016 like a sleeper hit like probably not one of the big uh, mainstream big budgeted films 
But it follows a story about a, a really neurotic, eccentric kind of guy who has become terrified of death and the afterlife. So he obviously had some problems when he was young, some trauma, and he kind of looks on the towards the internet. He got an inheritance. So the first thing he does is try to figure out um, if there is an answer to the afterlife. So he puts it out online. Anybody that can answer me, is there a, um, an afterlife? We'll get this money, etc. So he gets all these different people messaging him, a bunch of crazy people. He brings in his mother to help him, who actually is Beverly from 1990s It, the uh, older Beverly. I um, like seeing her in here. She's really solid. Um, and he starts to, her and her, um, her, his mother start to kind of go into it and investigate. And of course, one of the people is not as it seems at first and it gets mm -hmm. really complicated. Um, really good movie. So your thoughts on it? Um, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, I, I really like the story. I like, you know, how they handle death, life after death. You know, it it's kind of philosophical, but not like overly so, I guess. Um, it, it I think each character is really greatly developed um i love the mother character i love the main character um and then later on um there, there's a fourth guy that he interviews and i and i think he was fantastic as well um and like you know the as as the story goes on the the twist that occurred like while i, I think i, I might have caught it like as it was happening, I didn't really see it coming. It went in a completely different direction yeah. than I thought it was. Because the first three people that he thinks have something up, they all have, like, he, he kind of, de like, frauds them out. And, mm -hmm. and that's really well done. The first one is actually John Glover, who's yeah. a, he's a great actor. He's in Gremlins 2 and a slew of other things. Um, son of Bruce Glover is another great character actor. So um, that stuff's all really fun. Uh, and the main character is really kind of one of these guys that's really eccentric and strange, but you, he becomes likable and not too weird that he's completely batshit. He reminds mm -hmm. me of a friend that I had growing up that was just always kind of uh, eccentric and weird, but mostly good-natured and decent to be around. Um, and the mother and interaction with him is good. And like we start to unfold their story with those two. But what happens is it gets really interesting how ghosts are handled or the afterlife is handled. And there, there is some supernatural elements in here. This isn't one of these movies that is just a question mark if anything happened. There's generally some stuff happening here. And the reveal is actually really scary, really oh, unpleasant yeah. as hell. Mm -hmm. And I, I do like the the way it's done. And, and like, I don't want to talk too much more about it, but the movie is relatively low budget and it, it's kind of a character study at the same time as exploring a weird supernatural kind of thing, but it's done well and you're invested the entire time. The acting is solid. The story is good. And it's a simple story done in, in a unique way, I would say. So I, right. I would recommend checking it out. We go on. Definitely a sleeper hit of 2016. Um, yeah, I was, I was happy with it. It's on Shudder if you want to. Watch it for free if you have Shutter. If you don't have Shutter, get Shutter. I don't have any opinion on Shutter. <laughs> okay, this next one from 2016 is the autopsy of Jane Doe, and I didn't watch this originally because when it came out, everybody spoiled the what what the film was, and I was like, without that knowing with knowing that reveal, I kind of am like. I just don't feel like the movie will have as much impact. So I eventually got around to it. I'll try not to spoil the reveal until we hit a certain part, but it stars Emile Hirsch and Brian Cox. And they are basically, um, geez, what's the word? Morticians, um, uh, that work together, father and son morticians, uh, their mother or the, the wife of Brian Cox has passed away. So, 
they're kind of dealing with it in their own way. So they're working on these bodies. One night a sheriff comes in, the sheriff, and he says, I need a, um, a cause of death on this body right away. And the, the, the scene in the opening is really great because we see these two people, older couple, completely massacred and murdered in a real nasty way. And then they kind of go in the basement and find this body that is like half dug out in perfect condition, like dead and cold looking, but no, not a scratch on them. And this is Jane Doe. They have no identification on her. So they, so these two go to work, try to figure out some things. And as they on, on kind of tear apart the body and, and get under the surface, um, it seems more and more strange how she died. Just lots of strange things. Her lungs are burned, but there's no burns on her skin. Um, there seems to be a bunch of things uh, written on her skin. There's scarring all over her inside of her body. So before long, Emile Hirsch kind of seems to realize that there's something more supernatural. Um, the entire place starts to flicker with light, uh, damaging light and flickering and everything like that. Lightning storm on the outside. And I will say the surround sound in this movie was crazy. It got so loud, the lightning and everything like that. My, uh, my cats ran away. They were terrified. They were terrified of this movie. That's the thing. My cats were terrified. That's the, uh, the little thing on top for me um yeah they actually ran away from the lightning and everything like that because it, it came through really strong um yeah so as it progresses we learn that something more supernatural is happening and jane doe um probably didn't die you know die a, a normal death um now, now spoilers here so we'll get into this and this movie does share a lot of similarities to another movie an independent movie that came out years back which i cannot name because that will spoil that one too but that one is kind of uh, in the same vein, which is kind of crazy. Not many people talk about it because the movie costs about $5. And if I say it, it'll spoil that movie. But hopefully you'll figure it out if you've seen it. Um, and that movie does deserve some recognition. Um, so anyways, the spoiler here is it turns out that Jane Doe was some sort of um, supernatural witch. Um, the only thing I didn't particularly care for was when Brian Cox was like, well, what if killing her that way actually made her a witch because there were no witches? And I'm like... I don't know, that's just kind of his theory, but maybe it's possibly supposed to actually suggest. But the way they set this up, they leave that Jane Doe's possibility could carry on and there could be sequels. The movie actually has a pretty downbeat ending, which kind of surprised me. Um, and, it, and it's kind of dark. Uh, there's some decent stuff in here. I enjoyed it. I think it's a good spooky uh, film. And the special effects are great. There's some nasty gore in here that I thought worked well. Um, Mean-spirited, though, uh, and uh, good stuff. I, I like it. It's a solid movie. I don't want to say too much more about it. Um, but knowing the twist, it, it didn't really hurt it too much. And I think I would have figured that out eventually because we're not going to see. I just, I don't know. It's ruined for me if I'll ever know, to be honest, because would I have watched it like a lot of people did thinking, well, this story is going to be about figuring out who killed her and maybe following a serial killer. Or is it going to be, you know, this person is the killer. And you're, it's kind of clever in that way that you're exploring this dead body who happens to also be the, um, the, the, the killer. So that's unique in itself. Um, Autopsy of Jane Doe. Good stuff. Okay, this next one also. This one's from 2017, and this is Happy Death Day. And I know this divides the audience big time. Everybody's like, well, it's a Groundhog Day. It's Blood Punch. It's that kind of reliving the same day over and over and over again. Yes, we know we know that. But, okay, so Happy Death Day. This is by the director of Happy Death Day 2 and uh, Freaky, which I actually enjoyed quite a bit. Um, very fun movie from last year. So, Happy Death Day. Um, what we have here is this kind of... Here, here's what it is. You know, this story, these always start the same, especially Groundhog's Day. We 
have this character who's semi-unlikable, semi-miserable, but throughout the halfway point, they redeem themselves. But can you stand them for the first half of the movie for them to redeem themselves? With the Groundhog Day, you have a movie star like Bill Murray, so you know who Bill Murray's stick. You know Bill Murray's kind of a dick, he's kind of sarcastic, but you either like or you love Bill Murray, so you don't really care. You know it's going to be all right because it's Bill fucking Murray. Uh, here you have a character, an actress I'm not too familiar with, and the first 20-30 minutes I was like, I don't mind it hurt her being so rude, but what I'm surprised is by her interactions with everyone else treating her so nicely by how mean she is. Like, I, if she's that mean, I'd be like, no, thank you. And, and people are treating her nice. But she belongs to a sorority that is absolutely awful. It seems to be, you know, that high, high maintenance uh, appearances, nah, starve yourself for perfection kind of deal. You know, very, very stereotypical. So the the old movie opens up. She opens up in a dorm room of underclassmen, and she's confused why she's there. She's disgusted. She's hungover. Um, she's very rude, but throughout the day, she has all these things where she's having a party and everything, and she's murdered that night. She wakes up after she's murdered in the same position, and she realizes, same day, it's repeating itself. Of course, you know, Groundhog's Day. So it's basically up to her in comic routine to figure out exactly how she got killed and who's the killer. So we see this kind of mystery unfold. Um, can she figure out something before she's killed? But stakes start to add up because, you know, she's maybe not remembering or her brain's not quite there. She's not a great person. She has a lot of problems, so there's a lot of things for her to fix in her life. Um, about the halfway moment when she kind of came through and they had this great montage where she became kind of decent and nice, I actually really started to enjoy the movie. I liked the whole thing, but that's when she won me over and there was going to be that moment where if did she go too far to win me over no she never did so when she does win me over i actually uh was happy for then the rest of the film so yeah this one's fun um i enjoyed it the killer's mask is pretty solid and there's a couple twists um they're they're kind of obvious one of them especially they kind of throw you a curveball but by the time you're like well this has to be that and i did like that so overall i thought it was a very fun entertaining movie um a movie that's a little bit more approachable for people um you know not not something dirt uh like really nasty that i'm typically watching like Serbian film or something, Human Centipede 2. It's a little bit more approachable for a, a general audience, like Freaky, which I, I said had some clever funness, and it's very much like Freaky. Um, I did laugh some of the stuff, but these kind of repeat movies, I know people are like, well, Groundhog's Day did it first, and it's like, well, how many other movies did something else first? We know it. This one is such a specific kind of deal that people will point it out and hold it under a microscope more than they would something else, like a slasher movie. Yes, we know it's been done before a million times, but slashers become a genre. Maybe Groundhog day movies have not become a full-blown genre yet maybe they never will maybe they can't be maybe there's not enough there but who would have thought that killing kids in a summer camp could spawn 300 movies and i enjoy most of them okay if they're made before like 2000 or like maybe before like 1995 let's be honest but uh yeah so anyways uh, happy death day enjoyable fun cool and it's clever yeah i like it Okay, this next one here is from 2017, and I checked it out on Netflix, and it is Gerald's Game, directed by Mike Flanagan, who made a name for himself in the last decade or so, directing a lot of horror films, a lot of which have gotten good reviews, most of them. Dr. Sleep, uh, he's directed a couple Stephen King movies as well, including Ge Gerald's Game, Dr. Sleep. I feel like I'm maybe missing another one in there, I'm not sure. He directed some stuff for Netflix, like The Haunting of Hill House. So Mike Flanagan's become one of the big names in horror in the last decade or so. So, um, Gerald's Game, uh, this was a movie, uh, um, uh, book that was always said to be impossible to adapt to the screen. 
But after everybody saw it, they're like, oh, that's how you do it. That's pretty good. So Gerald's Game. I was not familiar with the novel. Um, I have read a fair share of Stephen King, but it's been years. So uh, basically, I knew the story of Gerald's Game. So this uh, woman, the husband and wife, are going out to an isolated kind of vacation house. They're well off, of course. And... Um, the husband brings uh, some handcuffs, some Viagra um, to kind of spice things up. Um, you know, they're kind of like in that midlife kind of crisis for him or whatever, having some trouble in their relationship. So he brings handcuffs. He handcuffs her to the bed relatively quick in the first 15 minutes after everything's set up. And uh, she's handcuffed to the bed for the entire film. Within, and within 20 minutes, the husband has had a heart attack and he's fallen off the bed and hit his head. And there's a stray dog feeding on his body that she fed some $200 a portion uh, Kobe beef <laughs> earlier. So, yeah, um, this is a solid movie. This is very good. She starts to have flashbacks. And the most interesting aspect is she starts to talk. She starts to talk. I'm sorry, I have like a, a, a cut on the side of my mouth, so like I'm even more slurring my speech than normal. And plus, I've like drank in like a case of beer. Just joking, but still. Um, so she starts to hallucinate kind of and talk to herself that um, she's on the bed really tied up and she's starting to get groggy. She's there for days. She's starting to get really drained while the person she's talking to is her and fresh. She starts to talk to her husband too, who's obviously dead. And eventually she starts to see another person come into her room who is like the moon faced man, which is a very crazy, weird performance. And I don't want to give too much away about the moon faced man because it's creepy as shit. Um, and it plays more into the third act, but she starts to talk to her husband been and herself even though they're basically figments of her imagination of her you know sanity um slipping but they start to kind of help her along the way and she starts to kind of question her relationship with her husband a relationship with her father and we see these flashbacks all kind of told around an eclipse and stuff like that which kind of plays into the moon man too. So it gets really kind of complicated and we have this psychological kind of deal here where she, you know, is kind of coming to terms with something that happened to her at her young age and with the relationship with her husband and other things like that. So it gets pretty deep. Um, there's some pretty disturbing stuff. Henry Thomas is in here. Um, very good actor. I've seen him pop up in a few things lately, and he's been very good. He's from E.T., obviously. He's McGarris' Chocolate. But recently, he's been in this, of course, Gerald's Game, and um, Dr. Sleep as uh, Jack Torrance. So he's, he's, he's had a kind of resurgence, and he's always been solid actor, and he's good in this, too. Uh, really unrewarding performance. I don't know if it's unrewarding, but it's really uncomfortable. I would say that it's not a performance most people would want to do. Um but yeah, and that kind of stuff happens. By the end of it, the third act, the movie gets really batshit. And a lot of people were like, I hate this ending. And I was like, I like the ending. It opened up this door for me, like into a place where it felt very Stephen King, where I just was thinking about things forever afterwards. And I thought that that was interesting. And I thought it was weird and creepy and different. And it, it does give you an answer that a lot of people probably didn't want. They would have liked to leave it vague, but never did I think it was that. So I guess I'm kind of happy because I was just like, well, it's just this. It's not anything else. It can't be. But there's a weird coincidence here and there. But hey, shit happens when you're going nuts. But then after they have that reveal, I was like, wow, 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 wow. And it feels like uh, another little piece of true crime Americana, which I enjoyed. So Gerald's Game, cool stuff. Uh, I liked it. Uh, weird on Netflix. Okay, the next one is another one from 2017, another Netflix exclusive, another Stephen King story, 1922, starring Thomas Jane. 
Uh, the first 10 minutes of this movie, I was sitting there like, I don't know how they're going to keep this up. I know exactly where it's going. I'm not that interested. Uh, I don't really want to watch this. It takes place in 1922. It's a period piece. We're following Thomas Jane. He is this kind of this farmer. Him and his wife have 180 acres together, but his wife owns 100 and he owns 80. They have a son. Um, and he's very happy doing this life, just being a farmer and living with his family on this farm. His wife obviously wants something else, wants to move to the city, open a dress shop. He doesn't agree. He actually thinks it's horrible. So um, he's a very, it's a very strange performance in here. It's very sling blade-ish, if you know what I mean. He's just kind of like, line of tires. So he starts this kind of, like right in the beginning, he was just like, oh, I reckon I don't want to shake your hand and stuff like that. And I was just like, I don't know about this. I don't know about this performance at all. And then like 20 minutes in, I was like, this is a fucking fantastic performance. I really like this. This is good stuff. This is an interesting movie. And after the first 25 minutes, he basically is wants to kill his wife and act like she just kind of went away. And the whole story structure here is him telling, kind of like writing this down as like he's telling the story in that kind of way. And there's something like clawing at the walls. And this movie incorporates rats um, like no other. I know Stephen King used a lot of rats and stuff like the Graveyard Shift short story. But also it, it reminds me of a Lovecraftian aspect where this mental kind of the rats in the wall things going on. And I really liked that. I really thought the rats represented guilt and everything like that. And that was very cool. So um Basically, it's just one decision completely ruins his life where he's focused on, um, and for good reason, it was a very big, horrible decision. Um, but the house is what he wants to keep. And it seems like this house and this area and himself has completely destroyed everything around him. Like it's a period piece. We have the old cars. We have the lovely farm. It, it looks really good. Thomas Jane's performance is great. His son's great. His wife's great. The next door neighbor by Neil McDonough is also fantastic. And, and he's just a character. We get a glimpse of it here and there. And we starts off as this really high class guy with indoor plumbing. And by the end of it, he is just this, this awful thing. And I don't want to spoil too much about it. I probably already said too much, but, um, this one was really good and, and, and the way it unfolds and keeps your attention. And again, goes to that true crime Americana, you know, it feels a little bit like a John Dillinger story at points, um, which I've always been kind of interested in. So anyways, I thought this was a great movie too. Uh, another one from 2017, Thomas Jane, great performance. I feel like they shaved in more of a receding hairline on him to make him look even more rough because, you know, I, I've seen him here and there in times, but they just made him look you know messed his teeth up made him look a little older made him look all rugged but uh yeah it's a good movie it's really well acted um and those damn farmington boys right don't want them to get the farm no matter what it's become this like moment of pride for him which is the last thing he can hold out to but anyways uh a great movie it has his narration throughout the movie and his inner thoughts and monologue and everything like that but uh i liked it really good stuff the next one from 2017 is Cold Skin by Xavier Jens, who did Frontiers and The Divide. I'm not a huge fan of Frontiers. I know people be like, that's blasphemy. I, I think it's the weakest of the French extreme movies. I thought The Divide was a little better. I thought that was pretty good. So Cold Skin. This is a strange film. Very Lovecraftian, I will say. So we have, who is the guy here? Ray Stevenson? He's the kind of like uh, isolated on this lighthouse. And uh, it's a period piece again. We have this young man who's supposed to document the weather changes and everything like that. He's in this location. Um, they drop him off at this location, and right when he gets there, he's supposed to kind of like relinquish the other weather guy, but he's not there. Nobody knows where he is. Ray Stevenson says, I have no idea. He wandered off one day. So within the first night of the weather guy staying here, there is a weird fish hand that slides under his door and tries to attack him. He defends himself, climbs into a shelter, and uh, prays for the morning. When he comes through, he goes to the lighthouse where Ray Stevenson is and begs him for his help. 
what what turns out is Ray Stevenson has this young fish woman locked up and he is using her as a lonely gross man would use a female unfortunately and uh this island is inhabited by these humanoid fish creatures which i liked better before the idea better before i saw them i i wish they were less humanoid more monsterish i guess so um every night they have to defend against them and there's this weird relationship between stevenson and the young guy um very lighthouse the movie lighthouse kind of reminded me of that a precursor but more like lovecraftian in the angle of the the stuff and, and it's a movie about uh I guess a truce and humanity and loneliness and without spoiling too much, uh, it kind of gets to the point. There's lots of these quotes like from famous, uh, authors and everything like that. They even opens up with Nietzsche in the beginning. Uh, the whole abyss line, of course, if you stare into the abyss, don't let the abyss will stare into you as well. So it's, it's very philosophical, kind of artsy in a lot of ways and that kind of deal. Um, it's a good movie. I thought that there were some cool moments in here. Uh, race, the acting solid. I wasn't absolutely in love with this one, but I thought for overall it was a pretty good movie, a uh, pretty cool concept. And I do think that this whole isolated two guys in a lighthouse, this movie is a little bit, it was before Lighthouse, even though I like the lighthouse better. But uh, yeah, this is a pretty good movie. Uh, yeah, check it out if you're interested. Uh, Cold Skin. Uh, yeah. Okay, this next one is the Patreon pick by Lorna, and this is Snack Bar Budapest by Tinto Brass. And this is a strange film. I don't really know how to go about it. They say it's like a film noir comedy, and I guess that's the best way to go about it. So we have this ex-lawyer who is basically dropping off, um, uh, I would say she's a prostitute that him and his business partner kind of share, and she goes out and, you know, does like a Johns and everything for him. She's pregnant. He's, he's driven her to this small place uh, to get an abortion. But meanwhile, his business partner calls him and says, you need to collect $10,000 from this local kind of young business guy or whatever, this, this criminal and everything like that. So when he enters this world, like this young criminal kind of wants to, you know, dazzle him and surprise him and take him under his wing and say, you want to, you want to work for me now. You and your, your partner can work for me. We'll give you five grand a day uh, or a month or whatever it is and and everything like that he starts to tell him all these things um ba basically you have to make these two people sell this property because we want to buy it now he wants to make this the italian las vegas is what he calls it he's a very kind of a you know young pricky kind of overly um you know ambitious character the young guy this old guy he's an ex-lawyer now this criminal he's like ex-lawyer he was disbarred so he's kind of haggard he's been rough and he's absolutely in love with the prostitute that he dropped off to get an abortion so what happens is he kind of hangs around this young man and he, he indulges in all these things like partying with all these women drinking drugs all these kind of things for a while and his business partner shows up and these two along with one of the buffoons that uh, the young man sent with him. He has a few buffoons, kind of idiots, young, brash assholes that follow him around. He's supposed to kind of muscle these people out of the property. But those people have a history with him, surprisingly, and something goes wrong, and that kind of pits the odds against everybody. So I'll leave it at that. Um, the acting's solid, but really does this is the set design, and the atmosphere is really great. There's lots of cloudy stuff, lots of neon lights, and the beautiful music um, is great. It, it sticks with you. Um, there's some good action and shootouts and everything like that. It does 
does feel gritty, although there is some comedy beats. I overall enjoyed this one. I thought that it um, was very unique, and it's kind of, I feel like the latter-day Tino Brass that I've seen is more of like these exploitation pieces, and this is exploitation too, but that less focus on any story, and they just incorporate as much like butts as they can. And there is butts in here, don't get me wrong, there's plenty of butts, but the other Tento Brass stuff is just all butts, and this is just a little butts. So there's enough butts and story for everybody, and I thought that I, I ended up really enjoying this one. I thought there were some great visuals, some decent comedy, um, and a great film noir look, but that hazy mixture of like the 80s and the 50s aesthetics, um, and, you know, with the, the kind of trench coats pulled over, but then it had like the neon lights and the, the fog in the streets and the, the tight alleyways and stuff. So overall, I thought this was a really good movie and it, it has a nice little comedy beat at the end. It's it's a pretty tragic ending as well. But uh, as you know, film noir should be. There is not necessarily a femme fatale, I would say, but there is a there's a couple female characters that you know have some good moments and everything like that so anyways uh good movie um snack bar budapest unique and uh, i'm glad it was picked for a patreon pick because this is a movie i probably never would have watched but i don't know how much of the trailer i can show but i most certainly will play the soundtrack uh, because it's a beautiful soundtrack and it deserves to be heard and there's some actual songs that um play over it not just you know uh score um the score is beautiful but there's some soundtrack pieces as well so yeah good stuff What? What is this? Zombie Bloodbath 2, Rage the Undead. Oh. What? You ain't seen Zombie Bloodbath 2, Rage the Undead? No, I guess I must have missed that one. You ain't seen nothing. You ain't seen nothing. I've seen way more than you. Mm -hmm. You haven't seen Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, Casino, Cannibal Holocaust, The Beginning, The Great Escape, Kelly's Heroes. Once upon a time in the fucking West! You haven't seen War and Peace, Pink Flamingo, Casablanca, Gone with the Wind, Citizen Game, The Oven and the Chipmunks Christmas Special. You haven't seen, hmm, what else haven't you seen? The Magnificent Seven? The Magnificent Seven Ride Again? The Magnificent Seven Are Back? Is that a movie? And last of all, you ain't seen Zombie Bloodbath 2, Rage of the Undead. And you haven't seen War and Peace. I ain't watching War and Peace. The hell you are. Fuck War and Peace. So this one is uh, You Ain't Seen, and this was your pick for me. Mm -hmm. And this is, you can explain what it is too. Oh, it's a Tanpopo. It's a Japanese movie about a woman who wants to kind of reinvent her ramen shop. And it explores our relationship with food. And it's also a Western. <laughs> yeah, it's listed as a Western. I was like, hey, this is a Western? You're like, no, not really. And I started watching it. And the opening of the film, like the trucker goes in and right. he fight, gets in a fight. I was like, this is most definitely a Western. Absolutely. It's got, you know, they collect uh, different characters. like um, Ragtag team of people yeah. to make this uh, ramen place the perfect eating establishment. Um, so I had originally watched this in Japanese class um, way back in like, 2000 high school to, right? yeah high school um it was actually after we studied all like the different foods you know all the words for you know types of food delicious you know like uh i, I don't want to speak japanese um but so so this was like the movie that we watched um and you know so we're in high school and you know our teacher so there's a lot of like sexual stuff in this movie like a lot a lot to do with food too um one of the story segments um, it's just a couple, and all they do is, like, fetishize food. 
So our teacher would like get up like it was probably every 30 minutes and just turn the TV around. She wouldn't really mute it. Like she would just let it play out on full volume and we're like, why can't we watch what's on the TV? She's like, no, just wait. <laughs> so the movie's interesting in the fact that it opens up with a character talking directly to the camera, directly to the audience saying, mm -hmm. um, you're about to watch a movie, please be quiet. And he actually shoes somebody in the crowd from eating chips too loudly. Mm -hmm. And then he, he looks at the camera and says, you know, death is like a short film that plays. So I don't want anybody to bother me when I'm dying because I'm looking forward to that short film that plays before I die. So after that, we cut to these truck drivers, which we assume is the movie that you're watching. And one of the truck drivers is reading this book about the perfect ramen. And it gets into this in-depth detail about him, this old man explaining how to eat this ramen perfectly. Mm -hmm. And we're like, okay, this is really bizarre because the movie starts and we have someone telling you that you're about to watch a movie. And then we jump into the movie and we're having someone kind of relive this book because we're actually seeing retellings and not just reading. So they're like, what the hell? And then we cut back to the truck drivers. And first it's in black and white and then it doesn't. Yeah. Then we cut back to the truck drivers and then we have that story. And then the character from the book actually appears inside the movie. Yes. And so does the character from the movie theater. <laughs> so it was a very structurally interesting way to open up a film. Uh, yeah, this one is really entertaining. I was very happy with it it's very funny it's very cute uh, there's lots of very fun moments in here and the vignettes like they, they kind of completely just go their own way where they don't really involve any of the characters and they show all the different ways food is loved and how they affect people um in death food is there it can mm -hmm. bring you out of it can save you a couple more minutes before you die it can be such a relief when you have a tooth pulled it mm -hmm. can be done in a sexual fetish it is there's so many different ways that food is incorporated in life and family and meaning and all that kind of stuff and it, it comes into the movie really well right one of the great scenes that i always remember and i always love is um you know how how different cultures respect food and you know there is a scene where like a japanese woman is giving you know like a classic eating etiquette for like italian pasta italian spaghetti um you know they're in japan and they look over and there's this, you know, white Caucasian guy and he's eating spaghetti. But so in Japan, when you're eating noodles, you, it, you're supposed to eat them like really loud. You kind of like slurp them up. Um, it, it's like, it's like a thing that they say like, oh, it changes like the flavor, the temperature. Um, it, it shows respect to the cook that you're enjoying the food. Um, you know, but you know, you don't loudly slurp spaghetti. At least you're not supposed to in, you know western culture so she's explaining to to these japanese friends you know we oh, have to eat it very quietly and then it cuts to this this white guy and he's like oh i'm in japan i'm going to start slurping my pasta he doesn't say it. it's all done almost silently that right. they see him slurping the the spaghetti so they're like is that the american way so they right. start adopting his way when they're trying to do the, the western way and it becomes very funny it also is is uh, a scene that predates that right before it a precursor is a scene where Japanese businessmen go and they're yes. all trying to be like fancy and intelligent and the smartest top of the guys are waiting for someone else to order so they can copy them. But when we get to the young guy who is obviously being shoo-shooed not to do it, he orders this extravagant meal and knows everything and he's an expert on food. And although he is an amateur in business, apparently, and looked down upon because he's not one of the senior members, um, he embarrasses them all with his, and uh, you know, his just, knowledge, his of, knowledge food. of food, and also just ordering above them and everything like right. that. So, it's, and they actually like change the color where they're all red. I don't know if they did that in camera. They actually put makeup <laughs> on them. But as far as the main story is concerned, it's a really lovely story. Uh, mm -hmm. All the characters, the ragtag team guys, are great. The two truckers, one of which who's like a crocodile Dundee Clint Eastwood type, I love, and Tampopo herself is 
what they named the restaurant after. I love her. She's great. Um, and she truly just wants to make the best ramen. Um, mm-hmm. And all the people that come together to help her are also great with the noodle guy. And she's going around getting all these different recipes and trying to figure out the perfect recipe. And she even has her own hallucinations and dreams and nightmares where like she like almost has like a gang war with another ramen great. shop, which is funny. But uh, no, it, it's actually really cute. There's a moment where... She's actually, I guess, uh, shadowing another ramen shop, and there's this one guy who's working by himself, and of course the cowboy's watching her and make sure she does everything right. Um, and he's a bizarre character, too. It seems mm-hmm. like he just drives around the country looking to help people in this weird kind of way. But so um, she's shadowing, and she's the cowboy's telling her to remember everybody, what everybody gets and what order he makes it and how he makes it because you got it's a very complicated situation. And all these people order stuff because the train comes. And then she goes, and he's like, what was it? And she goes and repeats everybody's order in the right order and everything. Mm-hmm. And then, like, everybody watching starts laughing because they just enjoyed, thrilled that she, like, actually is just a kick of it that somebody can mention remember all that off the top of their head it's just a really nice scene anyways I, it's a very enjoyable movie mm-hmm. um no one would think that a movie about eating noodles or making noodles could be so um entertaining or well done but in reality food is a very important part of everyone's life um and it's mm-hmm. a very important part of cinema because you got to eat to live and life is food right? right the old saying is some people eat to live some people live to eat you know, um, somebody, I, I read a letterbox review that said this movie is, uh, will basically appeal to both of those kind of people. Right. So it does too. Um, and it made me hungry. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I, this has always been like a really fun movie for me to watch. Um, it, it's just like a really good feel good movie. It's, it's not too serious. It's not, you, you know, like, like there's stakes, but like, you know, what really are the stakes? Um, it, it's just a fun, no enjoying, funny movie. movie. There's only pork. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, it, it, like like I said, there's all the different vignettes, you know, that, that they use kind of like transition scene to scene. You know, some are related to the movie. Some absolutely aren't. Um, I think one of the best ones is uh, with the mom cooking the, the fried rice. Um, <laughs> make dinner, make dinner. Right. That, that was I don't want to get that one away. Cause <laughs> That's that a beautiful scene. Good. That's very funny and very actually morbid for the movie. Yeah. Or with the kid with the, I can only eat organic food or vegetables. Right, or something. right. I don't That's eat natural food. And he has this carrot like safety <laughs> pin to his fucking <laughs> <Happy>. shirt. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, great movie. I guess if I had to rate it, I'd give it a 9 out of 10. I mean, for what it is, I think right. it's great. I mean, what, what else is there? I mean, for me, it's a five-star movie, but, you know... I, I've never seen anything like it. You know, I don't know if I'd see anything like it ever again. Um, you know, I know that, like, we focus a lot on horror stuff, so it's like anytime that there's food and horror, it's like, oh, it's people in the soup, you know. But, <laughs> you know, this one's just, it's just a fun movie. It's Damn, Popo is made of people. Right? It's made of people. Okay. It's great. Um, so next week will be my pick. And um, I am going to cheat because I'm on the Summer Series. And mm-hmm. there's a bunch of movies that are really, really good that I've seen. And I have not seen them in a long time. So I have to rewatch them. A couple of which I think that you will really like. Um, so I'm thinking either Terrified, Satan Slave, or Tigers Are Not Afraid. I watch Tigers Are Not Afraid. That's some little kids. And... Yep, yep. Um, yeah. so so Satan, we can't do that one. Satan Slave. I've seen Santa Slave. It's not. No, we're doing Satan Slave. It's not Santa Slave. It's not Santa Slay. It's not Santa's Slave. It's Satan's Slave. And not the original from the 80s. We're talking about the remake, sequel, whatever the hell you want to call it. Oh, we're we're, we're not going to watch an 80s one? No. 
Okay. You don't want to watch it. The 80s one's pretty good, but we're going to watch the 2017 one, which I think is a really great movie. So 20, That's a terrible year. It's a great year. So uh, anyways, you guys have fun. We're out of here. Bye. Okay, guys, let's do these questions, comments, and uh, whatever you guys have answers. So basically, I asked you last week, what was your first VHS, DVD, Blu-ray? Uh, Jonathan Wilhelm, solid reviews, Dave. First VHS, Evil Dead, DVD, 13 Ghosts, Blu-ray, Reanimator. Good choices. Oh, Claire, oh my God, I love your Donnie Darko set. I stopped trying to figure out that movie and just started to enjoy it for what it is. Uh, Isimisio, I need to get on the Creep Show Season 2. Have so many things to watch at the moment, it's crazy. Still also need to start Sir, uh, Servant Season 2 as well, which is an incredible series. Never been a fan of Donnie Darko, but don't hate it either. Just don't get the hype. Train to Busan was surprisingly engaging for a zombie film, but the sequel is meh. I agree with you on Hounds of Love. I feel like there could be more that can be explored there. Revenge is great. That man, though. I loved how he was so vicious to her, but so loving and soothing to his wife on the phone, who he's, che who he's cheating on. What a bag of douche. Man, I'm racking my head right now for a question of the week, but pretty sure first VHS was Clamshell Disney movie. First DVD was Pulp Fiction. First Blu-ray, American Psycho. First 4K, Pet Cemetery. So, Gregory Paul Smith, where'd you get that uh, Malakal shirt? And I got it from Massacre Video. I actually got the bundle. I don't know if they still have the bundle, which was uh, Toxic Zombies, Malakal, and the t-shirt. So, the shirt's still there. Not sure on the bundle. Dead Flintstone, first VHS, Michael Jackson's Thriller. Um, but I love the making of documentary more than the music video. DVD, Shining, 4K, Blade Runner, Final Cut. For those that don't know, Hounds of Love is a true story. So that's nice information to know. The Maniac, first VHS, Hellraiser. DVD, Madman. When that, that went out of print after I bought it, so I accidentally was a good collector. First Blu-ray, can't remember. I was one of the last people to get a Blu-ray player. Anyways, love these videos. Peekaboo, hello, Sensei Mr. Parker. Hello, Peekaboo. As you reviewed uh, Day of the Animals, which I have, but don't remember if I've seen it, hides under my bed in shame, but don't tell anyone. I just did. Um, you spoke about the lack of ozone layer causing the animals to go wild. Over Buenos Aires to capital of Argentina and also over Australia is completely gone. Therefore, the outrageous increasing number of skin cancer in those areas. Hounds of Love sounds interesting. As you reviewed it and mentioned at Cape, my mind went quickly into a former post I made about the legends behind the red shoes in Japan. Here's a highly addictive song about ogres and red shoes. Note that the language is Japanese and on top of the screen it is in Kaiji, Japanese with letters basically, and bottom is the English translation. Highly recommended. And you post a link. As you reviewed Mom and Dad, you made a joke about parents wanting to kill their children it is actually a real thing it's sort of called i uh ipa <laughs> no thanks um i can't pronounce it myself so no worries but the mother's fear of a child and what she's going through as soon as as soon to become a mom i know although not seeing the movie reviewed isn't playing on those strings but if a movie has done that it would be kotoko which i know you reviewed and liked a while back this is one of those nights i have too much to share not slept in like two days so sue me yeah i love kotoko that was i think one of um uh, Tokamato's best movies. Speaking of jokes, a segment with you and Jeremy before the review of Train to Busan is hilarious. Magnificent Seven Rides Again. Is that a movie? It was our back. Is a movie. Oh, I'm just kidding. Um, a question out of the blue. Are Sensei Mr. Parker jealous that Jeremy has his own song by Pearl Jam? I'm not jealous because I'm not a huge Pearl Jam song. Don't hate them. Don't have much opinion of them. Question of the week. Um, I would. I, I also always got called Super Dave Osborne, so I had to take that over or Davy Crockett. So I take that over Pearl Jam any day. Uh, question of the week. I would guess I bought Playboy Wet and Wild video 1989 as a teen. I wonder if they would let me somehow buy that now at the age I was. On DVD, it was The Arena 2001 because Karen McDougal was new to them. Give me a pervert card now. Don't any, don't own any Blu-ray or 4K yet. Uh, sorry for the comment being all over the place. No, it was fun. I like it. 
Um, Mike, um, he actually, told, he has another comment on here where he actually told me how to, how to say his name, but I'm just going to let it ride and say it wrong. Uh, Mike Adoob, uh, my first VHS was ET when I was about five years old. My mom bought that one for me, but the first one I bought myself was Dawn of the Dead, the double cassette with the opening flap front, uh, front flap. First DVDs were Night of the Demons, Old Anchor Bay edition and Night of the Living Dead 1990 remake. My first Blu-ray was Ghost Team 1. Mood 616, I'm here for the sexy new haircut since there was no corrections this week. But I got you corrections this week and a sexy new haircut, so two for one. Nick, uh, let me say how to say his last name, which is absolutely ridiculous. Baldersar, um, thanks for the review and for being such a great moderator. He was the lead star in Beyond Dream Store. Uh, FYI, uh, for your information, I was cursed with the most flubbed and mangled last name on the planet. It's pronounced Baldasar. Otherwise, keep up the good work. Adam Watson. I love a dark song. I found the ending very moving. Forgiveness is good for the soul. LOL. Nick Moore. Another riveting show, Mr. Parker. In post-COVID times, I can see you touring with the show, complete with hot dog and cotton candy stand, and Jeremy playing the drums. Also, I really like So You Ain't Seen segment. Yourself and Jeremy have all the charm and flair of a sweet old married couple. When you guys finally do tie the knot, we loyal Mr. Parkinites are getting a Zoom-like link to the ceremony, right? Or at least a coupon for some cheap champagne? I don't know about any of that. Uh, lastly, you're so right uh, to fear chimps. Remember Jennifer Connelly got bit by her chimp co-star in Phenomenon. And baboons apparently, besides biting, they like to pelt others with their excrement. Yeah, I do know the story about Jennifer Connelly almost getting her finger bit off by that ape and phenomenon. Horrifying. My first first VHS takes me back to the spring of 1992. Sadly, I had the missed uh, big Belgian TV. I had missed the big Belgian TV premiere of Stephen King's Hook, Stephen Spielberg's Hook. So my mother was kind enough to purchase the VHS cassette for me at the local toys and video store. Sweet memories indeed. I still have the first DVD I ever bought, and now questionable classic Jeepers Creepers. Discovering there was such a thing as bonus features, heaven on earth. But my very first Blu-ray, while well, scrumbling, another new format son of a bitch but i'm glad i did it i did it was greg and arky's kaboom sexy stuff and high def my first uhd 4k came out came with the sony free zone 4k player i bought blade runner 2049 yeah kaboom a lot of nudity i, I prefer um nowhere and mysterious skin and doom generation over kaboom um, but i can give kaboom another watch been a while. Uh, there's a, a question. Does Ohio have a notorious criminal who reached boogeyman status like Ed Gein has in Wisconsin? I'm sure there is. I know a lot of serial killers have come through Ohio. I know Dahmer lived here at one point. But um, one that I remember, there was kind of a scare that I remember being brought up. I don't know even if I remember it when I was young. was Alton Coleman. Um, he was a spree killer. Him and this uh, young woman that he was with ran, ran around uh, the Toledo area. I think they killed a couple people and they were kind of going to Detroit, Toledo, this area, and they killed a couple people. So Alton Coleman, uh, brutal killer. Um, I think he got the death penalty while they gave the woman a life sentence because she was mentally incompetent to stand trial or something along those lines. Um, as you know, sir, I bought a handful of Vinegar Syndrome's Blu-rays, but what is a must-own from said company? There are so many. I'm going to look off the thing right here for you. Um, I'm looking at my right now um ones that i've actually gotten a chance to watch because there's tons of movies that i love that i haven't even got a chance to re-watch on 4k but blood games i haven't got to watch their i'm at their blu-ray yet but i love it it's a great movie candy snatchers is a great movie um cemetery of terror is a blast um geez i'm looking down the line here because i have all their blu-rays um fade to black is a good one uh geez geez here we go um yeah <sighs> I know there's too many to name. Um, you got to get um, On Mass Part 25 is one I love. Psychos in Love is another that I adore. Um, there's so many good ones, though. It's really hard to do. Um, good Luck, Miss Wyckoff is another one that I would recommend. 
Oh, boy, boy, boy. Uh, Rest in Pieces is a blast. There's so many. Like, I... We're going to tell you to buy all of them because I bought all of them. But the ones I named off the top of my head, I can back up. Um, and I think they're great movies. And then the Vinegar Syndrome Archive has some. The Uninvited is a blast. The Vineyard is really cool because it's an absolutely ridiculous zombie movie if you like the zombies. If you like the zombies. And then, of course, they got that Beastmaster 4K, which I'm sure is amazing. So, okay. Hopefully that was good enough for you. Oh, geez. Where are we at? Um, okay. What is the strangest bit of luck that you ever came your way? In my case, it was when my cousin Gwen and I found a lot of cash in the middle of the sidewalk. How can you say no to free money? Um, geez, I, I really don't know. Uh, I found a $20 bill here and there, stuff like that. I'm sure there's been more luck. Probably luck that I actually survived things that I should have died. Um, like shoving my head through a window once, no cut on my head at all. That's kind of a strange bit of luck, but I didn't come across it. I ran into it. But uh, yeah, so Ken Coakley. I got a kick out of you saying that you base everything in life on Congo. I saw Congo in the theater when it first came out. They sold collector's cups with Gorilla Head for a, a topper. It was hilarious. Pepsi also had a contest with the grand prize being a trip to Congo. I drank nothing but Diet Pepsi at the time was worried about winning the trip and saw an interview with Ernie Hudson who said that he was relieved to be home from the Congo because he lived in fear of poisonous insects and snakes. I had already won a Nintendo as a grand prize in 1989, so I was afraid of doing it again. <laughs> I actually remember seeing Congo in the theater with my dad, and it was so cold in the movie theater. I remember actually like pulling in my sleeves and everything was freezing. Um, that's all I remember. Uh, I remember the movie, of course, but uh, we loved Tim Curry in that movie. Me and my dad chuckled the entire movie, and especially when um, he bites it. We should review Congo. Me and Jeremy should put Congo on. We both like it. I know people are like, that's stupid. It's fun. It's a B-movie. What do you want? Um, on the subject of orangutans, I like them as well. Baby ones are really cute with the hair on their heads, standing on end. I think they are. They and chimps are cute, but I like gorillas. They can do severe damage, and I saw a video about a girl named Coco that could communicate through sign language. She befriended a cat that later died, and they showed Coco crying. I'm really sorry that I saw that. It really brought me down for weeks. Yeah, I hate, like, what was that video where they had gorillas that were in captivity, where they never saw, like, the grass or anything, and eventually they let them out, and, like, they walked out to the grass and just bawled, like, and cried because they could see outside for once, and they never had seen it. It's just, like, uh, that's why I really, like, zoos are a double-edged sword. I know some animals have to be in captivity because they're born there, they're injured, but just, like, I don't know. Zoos are a double-edged sword. Like, I know it's so informative for people at a young age to go and it's lovely to be at the zoo i like going but at the same time i just feel bad watching like big mammals or any animals just in cages it's rough um like hobo with a shotgun rucker howard says bears don't belong in a zoo uh kentuckinator the most terrifying creature in day of the animals is leslie nielsen Agreed. Uh, my first VHS was Night of Living Dead by Video Treasures in 85 for a bargain price of $14.99. My first DVD was Mars Attacks in 97. My first Blu-ray, The Shining in 2007. My first 4K was Colson Connors of the Third Kind Steelbook. Hudson, VHS double bill box set of Brain Dead and Bad Taste. DVD, Nightmare on Elm Street full box set. Blu-ray, Avatar for 3D. And Mike um, basically says, uh, uh, Obey. Mike Obey, that's how you say his name. That was a great skit, caught me off guard. I hope to see more of these. So funny. Mandy Cage, dope vid. Thank you. Sarah Rogers, I'm so glad you are still making these. Thank you again. Barry, a.k.a. BTK. Um, that's great news about your contribution with moderating a new commentary track for Beyond Dream Store. I hope this will lead to more contributions to physical media releases for you in the future. I hope so, too. Uh, just let them know. Uh, but there's just it's got to be a rare a movie that I love that I can actually talk to, and there's not somebody like right around the corner that's way smarter than me about it so i don't know it just fell and it just was the right circumstances at the time david luton first vhs deep red on fletcher video back in the early 80s not sure about the others jeremy freeman midnight movie first blu-ray neil lemoy i like that one troy haworth 
love Troy Howard. So VHS, The House That Drip Blood, Prism, Laserdisc, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Columbia, Tristar, DVD, Rabid Dogs, um, Looser Tola Media. That must have been import. Uh, Blu-ray, funny, it's the most recent. Yet I can't say for sure. I'm the same way. Lee Jones, VHS, Driller Killer, uncut magnum tape from Coconuts near my house. I was around six or seven years old. Prior to that, it was all Reynolds. DVD, Amok, Eurovista release from House of Monsters, probably circa 2001. I don't think I ever bought a blue, as I get most anything I need from in the form of screeners and never bought a UHD. That's the guy who runs the company. So, Peter England, VHS, The Godfather Part 1 and 2, DVD, Dawn of the Dead, Blu-ray, Ninth Configuration, started late with collecting Blu-rays, and, and he actually posted a picture of them. Adam uh, Kobalia, VHS, Conspiracy Theory, DVD, Mr. Show Season 1, never had a Blu-ray player. What? Christian Luciani, don't remember first VHS, but you probably smashed it with a sledgehammer. Am I right? Laserdisc, The Thing, DVD as good as it gets, was gifted to me, but my first purchase was The Thing. Blu-ray, Kill Bill 1, 4K, Evil Dead 2. What, no ghoulies? You didn't get ghoulies? Uh, William Adcock, VHS, Creature from the Black Lagoon, DVD, don't remember. Blu-ray, Terrorvision, slash Video Dead 2-pack. Justin Morales, DVD of Dude, Where's My Car? Blu-ray, first one I bought for myself was Fight Club. Before that, I was given Bruno, Michael Jackson's This Is It, and Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes is a gift. 4K, Batman vs. Superman. And he also says, I can't say what my first VHS was, but the oldest videotape in my family's collection from before I was born is The Wizard of Oz, which we've had since the late 80s. We have a couple tapes like that when we were growing up. Beetlejuice and Batman were an American tale, Fievel American tale, were in the damn VHS closet for years. They were always there. And then, like, there were some Disney tapes, too, like Lady and the Tramp and Robin Hood. Those tapes we just owned forever. I don't remember when we got them. And then we have... Uh, Cameron Scott, uh, first Laserdisc, Wishmaster, for HVHS, Evil Dead, first DVD, Blade, first Blu-ray, Hobo, with a shotgun. Jordan Bibby, VHS, I bought myself Leprechaun 3. I can't remember the first one I was gifted, it was probably Sword in the Stone. DVD I bought myself, Demons, the first one I was gifted was Nightmare on Elm Street Collection, Blu-ray, The Thing. Lacey Lou, VHS, ET, DVD, Scary Movie, Blu-ray, Scream Trilogy, 4K, Shazam. If you guys don't know, Lacey Lou has a great podcast. Um, I'll post a link if I remember Slumber Party Massacre podcast, where it's her, um, Carly from uh, His and Hers, she's um, he um, Heather Powell from Friday Night Nightmares, and Rebecca Reinhart, actress. She does also another Friday a podcast, a couple podcasts. So they have a podcast together. It's an all like female podcast. It's pretty fun. They're on like episode two or three, three or four probably right now. But they covered like popcorn and sorority house on sorority row. It's really good show check it out they have great chemistry and they're very funny and they're very knowledgeable um then we have Derek b vhs scooby-doo and the boo brothers dvd hamburger hill blu-ray the chronicles of narnia the lion the witch and the wardrobe and i forgot the hit seymour which sucks because this is actually i was listening to one of his podcasts uh no more room in hell when they brought up the first vhs which i completely screwed up my bad um sometimes when you have like 40 50 comments you're trying to get them all copied and you forget to hit the seymour that's my fault sorry about that Derek. uh if you remember you can repost them next week because i don't know if i'll remember and i'll read them sorry about that matthew Furman, uh vhs ghostbusters dvds the untouchables john oak dalton VHS, The Gold Rush, DVD, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Blu-ray, Jesus Christ Superstar, 4K, none yet. Matthew Furman, has someone posted about HD DVD? I don't think they have yet. Um, Jeremy Klein, my first DVD was The Blair Witch and still have it today. I used my PS2 to play it because it didn't have a player at the time. Shazin Barbarian, Army of Darkness, VHS, DVD, Hellraiser 1 and 2, Anchor Bay, Blu-ray, not too sure, 4K Hellboy, the newer one because it was cheap. Jason Fetters, VHS, Nosferatu, the 22 version, DVD, Caddyshack, Blu-ray, Kick-Ass, 4K Jaws. Timothy Matthew Hayes, VHS, 
Night of Living Dead, DVD The Exorcist, Extended, Blu-ray, Counters of the Third, Counters of the Third Kind, or Saturn 3, can't remember which, but remember buying both around the same time, 4K, Daughters of Darkness, great buy, Neil Lemoy, I'm too old to remember, Tony Miles, VHS and bootleg collection of Sabotage Concerts, DVD, Gattaca and 8mm at the same time, Blu-ray, Gattaca again, 4K, Blade Runner, 2049. David Gibson. I can't remember my first VHS, but I think it was Gremlins Fight Club. Um, Gremlins Fight Club bought, bought player just for the film because it was the first home video release. I remember being DVD first and VHS a few weeks later. It was my first DVD. I was 20 and finally had enough money to buy a DVD player. My first 4K was Jaws. I was late to the format because I didn't think it would made much difference. Boy, I was wrong. I was converted on my first watch. Nathan Erdell. Cannot remember for the life of me what my first VHS tape I purchased was, but I know for a fact that the first two VHSs we ever rented were Elvira hosting the Monster Club for Thriller Video and Secret Life of Toys. First DVD purchase was at Pupil. First Blu-ray was Faces of Death and uh, Suki uh, Yaki Western Django. Mark Humphreys, a bit of a mixture. VHS, Hero, the story of 1986 FIFA World Cup. DVD, Hollow Man, Blu-ray, Planet of the Apes, 5 movie collection, 4K, Godzilla, King of Monsters. Justin Ord, VHS, um, Alienation, Dogma, Dogma for DVD and Blu-ray. Madeline Deering, VHS, no memory of first VHS I ever bought was. DVD, Dracula 2000, Blu-ray, Sex in the City 2, 4K, 50 Shades, Freed in Love, Simon. Okay, so that's a, I don't, <laughs> Eric Whiting, VHS, no idea. DVD, I got several for Christmas in 20, 2001. I think the first I opened was Laura Croft Tomb Raider. Blu-ray, Terminator, 4K, Shining. Kaiser Souza, not sure, but I do know the first two in my collection. I got because someone gave them to me for my birthday. They were Shrek and A Knight's Tale, both DVDs. Michael Stolaska, can't remember for VHS or DVD, but I know that when I first got a PS3, I was given a mailing list where they would send a bunch of Blu-rays with the system itself. As for the 4K, my first film was The Revenant. I think that was my first 4K, too. Scott Shermer, VHS Willow, Laserdisc Willow, DVD Fried Green Tomatoes, Blu-ray Road Warrior. 4K, Lords of the Rings Trilogy. Daniel Carson, VHS Reanimator, Laserdisc, Howling, DVD The Thing, Blu-ray Hardware. 4K solo Star Wars story. Bill Casanelli. VHS, Ilsa, She-Wolf of the SS, An Alien Prey, Laserdisc, Phantasm, DVD, Very Bad Things, Blue, Battle Royale, 4K, It, 2017. Peter, uh, 42nd Street Pete, first VHS tape, Night of the Living Dead, at the, at the cost $59.95. First DVD, Dawn of the Dead, Blu-ray, The Wild Bunch. Three of the best. Andrew Christie, VHS, I was too young to remember, but I think it was either Wayne's World or Nightmare on Elm Street 4. DVD was Biodome, Blu-ray was Star Trek, 4K was Zombie. Jonathan Knight, Batman, VHS, DVD, Planet of the Apes. Blu-ray, Leprechaun Collection, 4K, Rat, Ryan, uh, Matthew Ziegler, VHS Predator, widescreen VHS Fargo, DVD Fright Night, Blu-ray Star Trek, 4K, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Rob Kobinski. VHS, Evil Dead 2, DVD, The Thing, Blue, The Thing, 4K, Jaws, Region Free, Anthropophagus. These are very long, and I apologize. Maybe I... <laughs> Sam Edwards, VHS, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, DVD, Watchmen, Ultimate Cut, Blu-ray, Fight Club, 4K, It Chapter 1. Remember, there is timestamps. Sean Marardi, VHS, Race for Your Life, Charlie Brown, DVD, Chasing Amy, Blu-ray, X-Men First Class, 4K, Star Wars, The Last Jedi, Brad Sykes, Dawn of the Dead on v Brad Skies, or is it Sykes? I never too sure dawn of the dead on vhs had a special order from a local mom and pop store still have it too Corey walter vhs was puppet master retro how disappointed you must have been uh dvd was freddy uh box set blu-ray was natural born killers 4k was rainbow one through three jamal potter first vhs x rental was romancing the stone retail was robocop first dvd the thing blu-ray i think wally came free with the player i got 4k none yet donald plight uh, VHS, Nightmare 3, DVD, Shivers, Blu-ray, Talladega Nights, 4K, Red Heat, 
James D. Cokes, VHS Terminator 2, DVD Exorcist, uh, Blu-ray, Blade Runner, 4K, Terminator 2, sold it without viewing. So the next was Beastmaster. Harrison J. Bay, uh, I remember our first family's first DVD was Stigmata. The first Blu-ray I remember buying was Apocalyptico. Funny enough, I don't remember what 4K I bought first. Skip Barber, I don't remember VHS or DVD, but you sent me a Blu-ray I just bought, and I just bought 29 Needles last week. Friends bring me a Blu-ray to watch, so I only now bought one. Wow. Jeffrey Lee, VHS, Massacre at Central High, DVD, Silent Night, Bloody Night, Blu-ray, The Omen, 4K, E.T. Dominic Fabri, VHS, They Live, DVD, Arlington Road, Blu-ray, 2001, The Space Odyssey, 4K, Rad. Still the only 4K in my collection, and I don't own a player. Michael Matson, VHS, Night of Living Dead, DVD, Skinner, Slash the Surgeon, Blu-ray, Basket Case, The Something Weird Edition, and 4K, Avengers Endgame. Mike Mallory, VHS, Fistful of Dollars, Slash, For a Few Dollars More, Slash, Hang of a High Box Set. DVD, Death Rides a Horse, Budget DVD at Grocery Store, Before I Even Had a Player. Blue was sent filmmaker copies of the Scarlet Worm, which I co-produced. 4K, what's that? Not sure. Uh, Scarlet Worm's a pretty good movie if you guys haven't seen it. Uh, on Earth put out the the Blu-ray. So Sean Donahue, VHS, G.I. Joe, DVD, Pink Floyd's The Wall, Blue, Fast Times Regiment High, 4K, none. Jason Hammond, VHS, Night of Living Dead, DVD, The Exorcist, Blue, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 4K, probably the Blue, uh, blue Underground Zombie with the eye-piercing cover, Jeff Pinnell, VHS, Wayne's World, DVD, Goodfellas, Blu-ray, Pan's Labyrinth, 4K, Mad Max, oh, Fury Road, Oh, come on, don't stick together. This is taking a year as it is. Matthew Hudson, VHS, not entirely sure, but my best guess is Ghost. DVD, Last Starfighter. Blue, it's a mad, 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 mad world. Don't own a player, but I technically bought this because Criterion bundled a DVD and Blu-ray together. 4K, never went blue, so whatever this is, I don't own one. However, since I don't own one of these, I believe the first laser disc I bought was Star Trek IV, A Voyage Home. Charles Meehan, VHS, Return of the Dead, Laserdisc. From Dust of Dawn, DVD, Boogie Nights, Blu-ray, Apocalyptico, 4K, uh, Labyrinth, Ghostbusters, Groundhog Day, Mac, Brewer, VHS, Jason Goes to Hell, DVD, Evil Dead, Blue, Priest, uh, 4K, Hereditary, Andrew Scott, VHS, Terminator 2, DVD, Tomb Raider, Blu-ray, Fast 5, Justin Patrick, the first VHS I ever purchased with my own money was Army of Darkness, first DVD was Texas Chainsaw 03, first Blu-ray was American Psycho, first 4K was Halloween, Michael Wimmershirch, 3, the third, VHS Batman, DVD Matrix, Blu-ray, Labyrinth, 4K, Resident Evil, 6. Sam Kelly Mills, VHS Never Any Story, DVD Mortal Kombat, Blu-ray Star Trek First Contact, Jason Siegel, don't remember the first VHS, DVD Gladiator, Blue, 13 Assassins, no 4K yet, Justin Chanel, VHS Evil Dead 2, DVD Cannibal the Musical, Blu-ray Serenity, Matt Jefferson, with my own money, Night of the Demons on VHS, BioZombie on DVD, and I honestly don't know what the first blue I ever purchased was. Uh, Bex Botwin, VHS, Eraser, the Arnold movie, DVD, Star Kid, Blu-ray, Halloween, 4K, Cabin in the Woods. So, um, basically, I didn't think of a question for you guys, but uh, I'll think of something. Maybe I'll just put it up here. I am so, t so like, dry-mouthed. But I guess before we hop into this update, we're going to do uh, the pick-a-movie. I meant the Patreon picks. So I'm going to draw five names. Uh, what do we got here? Like I said, if you're a patron and you haven't got drawn out in a long time, let me know. And we'll just sneak you ahead. Um, so Travis Litscum, Horror Rises from the Tomb. The Paul Nashy flick? Cool. Get to open that Paul Nashy set. Ugh. The Legend of the Lone Ranger, Tone Joker. I know I'm cheating here. Like, I'm setting the bag down. People are like, you're doing that. I'm like, I wouldn't bother. Uh, Lorna, Vampire Junction, Junction, which is a Jess Franco. 
Um, low budget one too, later on. And what else do we got here? Let's mix these up. That's three. Tom Brooker, Bronson, which is a good movie. It's been a long time since I've seen it. So no problem rewatching that bad boy. And Dan the Cameraman, pick a movie from four years ago, 2017. So cool. Uh, yeah, so there we go. That's the five picks. I guess we're going to hop into this update. Okay, we're going to hop into this update. First up from Aquino is Dark Intruder. It has a horror film. It has Leslie Nielsen in it. And after watching some Day of the Animals, I just had to have more Leslie going crazy, hopefully. I've just actually ordered this before I rewatched Day of the Animals. But still, I uh, love Leslie Nielsen. So we have Shootout with Gregory Peck as well. Uh, love Westerns. I think Henry Hathaway did this one. Is this the one he did? Um, director of True Grit, if I'm not mistaken. He does a lot of classic Westerns and everything like that. So what else do we have here? Showdown. Rock Hudson, Dean Martin. Another Western from Kino. Uh, I know a lot of, I know like if you guys don't order from Kino too much, you wait for the sales, check them out anyways. If you, they got a couple titles you really want, the price is pretty good too. Uh, so like a lot of their titles are like 15 bucks, like brand new. So, um, you can get them way cheaper there than you can on Amazon or anything. And, and even about the same rate as you get them at the uh, Target buy to get one. Then we have Doc, which Stacy Keach, Faye Dun Dunaway, Harris, U uh, Harris Ulan, who's in Ghostbusters and Bad Dreams. Uh, this is director, oh, uh, Frank Perry directed this, who did the, um, David and Lisa movie, which is a really good film, and a bunch of other movies too, he's very popular, Diary of a, a Housewife was that one, I, I think he did that one as well, then we have The Wildlife, which I guess is the spiritual sequel to Fast and the, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, I almost said Fast and Furious, geez Louise, but yeah, it's a spiritual sequel to, um, not even maybe spiritual, I think that character Chris Penn is actually brothers with the Sean Penn character, something like that, but this has got a really good cast in here, I've always wanted to see this one, I'm a big Chris Penn fan, he's one of my favorite actors, um, uh, growing up watching him and stuff like Best of the Best 2, uh, Best of the Best and 1 and 2 and stuff like that, but then when I saw him at Reservoir Dogs, he just was so great in that movie it just kind of blew my mind anyways uh the wildlife looking forward to that this next one we have here is uh from what is it uh nsm which is a german company and uh this is party does growlins aka um, more known as death weekend they put this slip cover that you can put in there um if you guys never seen death weekend it's a really good solid uh exploitation film by william fruit the canadian director made in 76 this is one of the the, the more popular rape revenge movies don stroud is a really good baddie in it and um i don't want to say it rivals last house on the left but it is a, it's really good it's one of the better of those kind of movies i know those movies aren't for everybody but then we have freak maker which as uh, Donald Pleasance and people being turned to plants. I don't know, some weird bastardized version of I Own the Dr. Moreau. But still, I'm not going to pass up Donald Pleasance being crazy. This is a um, Diabolic release, which they're doing, I think they're behind the other ones now, um, the company that put like Beyond Terror, and I have all those too, but this is like the first one they did. I don't know if it's different or anything like that. So now we have the... Um, some, I got some titles come in from Indicator. So, yeah, you guys know what this is. Is it backwards? Is it upside down? Whatever it is. But it is irreversible. I, I couldn't pass this up. Um, I made a joke about it. Somebody said, why would you want to watch Irreversible in the correct chronological order? I said, so that way 
you don't have to watch the rest of the movie with puke in your lap. Because this movie, man, this will make you throw up. If you watch it in reverse order, I mean, the original order, you see the horrible stuff in the very beginning, and you're just like, oh my god. And, and the, the wow, wow, wow. This is a great movie, though. It's very powerful. Gaspar Noe is a one-of-a-kind director. I think I've seen all his feature films. Covered them all on here. And uh, yeah, had to have the remastered Blu-ray of Irreversible. So then here we have the last detail which I heard about on Pure Cinema years ago. But Jack Nicholson, uh, love Jack Nicholson, Randy Quaid's in here. Um, so yeah, wanted to check it out ever since I heard about it. Finally got around to ordering it. But yeah. Then we have their edition of Eyes of Laura Mars, which Sean Carpenter wrote. I've never seen this movie. It's, it's quite popular, but I have the uh, American release, but I imagine this one has some special features, probably a better master and everything like that, maybe a better encoding. Um then we have Mysterious Island, which is, I believe, a Ray Harryhausen effects movie, if I'm not mistaken. But this looked like a lot of fun. And I was ordering some titles, so I, I popped this one in there. I'm not 100% sure if it is a Housen, or I think it is. Yeah, Harryhausen one. So, yeah, grab this one. I have all the Sinbad movies, and so why not? And then we have The Mind of Mr. Soames, which is an amicus, I'm not mistaken, which we will probably cover, but it's also 1970. So if you guys don't know what that means yet, just stay, stay, stay uh, I guess, uh, to the side. You guys will know soon enough. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, we're doing something with 1970. But anyways, I wanted to check this one. Terrence Stamp, Robert Vaughn. Yeah, sounds pretty good. Weird. I guess it's more of a comedy sci-fi than a horror, but I'm definitely going to check it out for Amicus and 1970. Then last is Werewolves on Wheels. That's one of these movies that I've had on DVD, and it's just like one of those ones that's like, Werewolves on Wheels? I gotta see that! And then I imagine that it's more of a biker movie, and then the werewolves are on wheels for like 35 seconds just so like the people that went and seen it didn't riot in the theater but i'm a sucker for it and i love the cover and he looks so he looks so devious there look at that where he's got a snake around him that's so like yeah that's so like heavy metal like horns in the air shit right there but uh anyways back to the video guys okay guys thank you very much for watching and as always have a good one me nee.